chapter 1, we're going to begin a new series this morning, uh, a prophecy series. Now, years ago, I preached through um, the book of Revelation. It took me about two and a half years. And for years, people would say, Pastor, when are you going to preach on Revelation? When are you going to preach on Revelation? When are you going to preach on Revelation? It seemed like every year I was being asked. And I kept saying the same thing. I'm not going to preach on a book of the Bible unless I've completely studied it and I feel confident enough in what I'm preaching. And they would be like, okay. So then finally the Lord gave me liberty and I was able to preach the series. This is not that series, okay? I'm not going to preach through Revelation, but I am going to talk about the time uh, that we're living in and I am going to try to make it as practical as possible. I mean, let's face it, we can read the book of Revelation. We can discuss all the possibilities and all the different doctrines <clears throat> And certainly even the book of Revelation comes with its own blessing of reading that book according to chapter 1. But unless we take what we learn and apply it to our life practically, it means nothing. The Bible says, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So it's some, there's something to be said about having all of the knowledge and understanding it and having my own opinion about the way things are going to go in the book of Revelation. But if it doesn't change my Christianity, what good is it? If it doesn't mean that my shoes are doing more walking and my hands are doing my doing and my lips are doing more praying, what, what good is it? It's just knowledge. And by the way, knowledge puffeth up. It makes me feel good about myself what I know. So this series is not that. What I'm going to try to do is be as practical as I possibly can and, uh, and try to be a help from, from the Scripture and take the Scriptures where Jesus talks about it and do as much as we possibly can to pull out for, for uh, things that we need for our life. So this morning, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to do, uh, we're gonna, uh, the message we're going to look at today is entitled, What Time Is It? And um, by the way, it's July 31st. This is the last day of July. Can you believe that? Um, this year has flown by. I was telling our Sunday school hour, uh, the older I am, the faster time goes. And it's amazing uh, just how quickly it goes. Speaking of time, today is uh, Morgan Gridley's last Sunday with us. And uh, she was born here, went to school here, and now she's leaving here. And uh, I, I've tried to get her not to leave, but she just said, no, I'm leaving. I don't care anymore. I got to get out. And uh, no, that's not what she said. She's, she's going to uh, Texas, and uh, she's going to study there. And uh, then she'll be back, I'm sure, and visit. She's going to live with her aunt, I believe. Is that right? And, uh, and so we'll look forward to checking in with her. And, uh, and so pray for the Gridleys. They're having one leave the nest, the first one. And uh, so that's going to be a big transition for mom because all they're left with is Parker. <laughs> big transition, eh, Parker? Raise your hand so everybody knows the obstacle, I mean the, the transition. There you go. All right, just making sure. All right, Acts chapter 1. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? Out of respect for the Word of God. Acts chapter 1, we're going to read the first eight verses this morning. The Bible says the former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and teach. Uh, now, by the way, he's referring to the book of Luke, all right, because this is Luke writing, so he's referring back the former treatise. Verse 2, until the day in which he was taken up after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, <clears throat> to whom he, I'm sorry, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days, <coughs> and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Verse 4. 
and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore, excuse me, restore again the kingdom of Israel? Let me say that again. They asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for the time that you've allowed us to be here together again. Lord, we just want to again say we're so thankful to be saved. We're so thankful that you love us. Someone as beautiful and holy and amazing. Lord, the Bible word is terrible. Someone like you would condescend to such people like us and save us. God, we're so unworthy of the least of your mercies, even of this truth that you've given us in your word, and yet you've bestowed it upon us by your amazing grace. For that, we are eternally grateful. And again, we praise you today for who you are. We ask, Lord, today that you again would take this word and minister to us. I pray that you'd help me to get out of your way, that by your spirit, that you would fill me and use me for your glory. Just help me to be your vessel, Lord, and speak through me those things that would be the greatest help to these people and to myself. I pray, God, then again, that you would, as we leave, that you would give us faith and courage to obey your will and to do all that you speak to us. We pray, God, all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. All of my adolescence were spent in the 70s, and when we went on a trip as a family, that meant that I was supposed to sit in the very back of the car with the luggage. But this was no ordinary car, and I want to show you a picture of it. It was a 1972 Chevrolet Kings, uh, uh, it's called a King Station station wagon. That, my friend, is beautiful. That is a tank. It has a Chevy 400 in it. And by the way, those were, uh, those were not mandatory seatbelts. Those were uh, optional seatbelts. You guys remember those days, Patrick? Remember those days? In fact, <clears throat> it just had a lap belt and, and they had come out. Uh, Brother Barnes, you may remember this. They had the, the new ones had the shoulder things that were connected on the top. You had to disconnect it and you had to put it down and connect it on a second, actually on the buckle itself and then snap it in. And it wasn't adjustable. Uh, it, it was like a, it was like a race car strap. Once it was on, it was on. There was no like, oh, let me just go forward. You know how it's so comfortable. You get it. You're like, oh, it's, it's, you know, you can get comfortable in it. Those were not. And so they, nobody ever used them. We didn't even use seatbelts, but I have spent many, many hours in the very back of that. You can see kind of the back end is this huge, just this huge area. And I rode back there. My brother and sister didn't want me sitting in between them. So I sat back in the back with the luggage. That means that I watched everybody go by and I was doing that. And any rig that went by, I was doing this. And, and I still remember coming back <clears throat> from a trip in that car laying in the bottom. I, I, don't, I don't know how I was, but I was laying in the, bo- in the floorboard in the back seat. And I was finished with my coat. And uh, I threw it out the window. My dad was doing 80 down the, down the highway. And I just threw it out the window. Didn't think anything. I went, woo. Next thing you know, my dad's getting pulled over. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. 
And uh, I was like, Dad, are you speeding? He's like, no. He didn't even see what I had thrown out. So I was still laying down there on the bottom, just chilling out. Highway patrolman, state trooper walks up and he looks at me in the back seat and he comes by and he said, uh, you know why I pulled you over? My dad says, no, I'm doing the speed limit. He pulls up my Coke. And he goes, this came out of your back window. He said, oh, it did. And, I, and he said, yeah, and immediately, you know what happened in me? I was like, nope. You know what my dad said? My dad said, officer, he's all yours. If you want to arrest him, he's all yours. I had nothing to do with it. And I thought, my dad just gave me up. He was like, well, you know, I could. And, and I was like, my dad's going to send me to jail. I'm on vacation. What's he doing? And, and so he just looked at me and he said, son, I don't think you should probably do this anymore. You're probably going to have to take a ride with me. And I was like, yes, <laughs> I'm sorry. And, and, and that was the one, that was the one trip I remember being in that car and being scared to death. By the way, my dad got, it was 1972. My dad got rid of that and he bought an Oldsmobile Delta 88 town sedan with spokes. When we said goodbye to that car, I bawled. I literally went out. He washed it for the last time before he took it. I went out. I was like, bye. I love you. I kissed it on the fender. I was like, I can't believe you're taking this. And, uh, and he brought that, that. And it just has an emotional tie to me. That car is beautiful. How many remember these cars? Do you remember these cars? Anybody else have one like that? Oh, my goodness. They were absolutely amazing. Like every other kid who grew tired of looking out the window in this car, I would ask my parents the question that every kid asks. Are we there yet? Of course, that question was always followed up by the question, how much longer are we going? Which was followed up by the question, what time is it now? All along, of course, my father was keeping track of what time it was and how long until we arrived at our destination. Let's face it, God's prophetic plans are always interesting. The Old Testament prophets viewed the future with great interest as they prophesied the captivity of Israel, the captivity of Judah, the coming Messiah, and God's judgment of the world. Even the disciples asked about signs of Christ's return in the coming millennial kingdom in Matthew chapter 24. Prophecy, or what's to come, is one of the most popular subjects in all the Bible as people speculate about different things. Who's the Antichrist? Where's he going to come from? What's he going to look like? How is it going to be possible? Brother Chris, can you help me out there in the foyer there for a minute? Um, the number 666 uh, is numerology in, in, in that. And uh, the Battle of Armageddon, what's it going to be like? And where's it going to take place? All those things. Here in our text, we see a question, a question about God's prophetic timetable after the Lord's death and resurrection and just before his ascension into heaven. Lord, wilt thou at this time again uh, restore again the kingdom? Now, they're referring to the millennial kingdom that was prophesied. The part that they didn't know was the time that we're living in, that parenthetical state called the age of grace. So they're just thinking, man, it's death and resurrection. We know you're the Messiah. Is now the time, or really, what time is it? Is this the time? A question that asks the time. Jesus reveals the time to them. And by the way, through Scripture, reveals it to us because we're still living in that time. What time is it then? Well, if you notice from Scripture, I want you to take your outline and see three significant elements of time as they relate to our life today. And, and Jesus puts it pretty straight and plainly to them. And they are going to respond, of course, in the book of Acts. So first of all, what time is it? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, it's time to wait upon the Lord. They're very anxious. They've been anxious for the three and a half years. Now his death and resurrection has caused some puzzling elements to creep into their emotions. And now 
they're asking, is this the time? Is this what's going to happen? Is, is this how it works? And, and Jesus tells them, look at verse 4. He says, well, uh, I want you to wait. Them being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye, uh, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And then, of course, the question. When they therefore were come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, wilt thou, wilt thou this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times. It's not for you to worry about what time this is going to happen. What I want you to worry about is the time that you're currently in. Does everybody see that? So preempting the question, Jesus already made the statement, knowing that was where their heart was going. Because he doesn't have anybody to need to tell him what's in man. He already knows what's in man. So he, knowing what was, going to, what was going to be asked, preempts it. Look, I told you to wait. I want you to wait. Well, are you going to restore? Don't worry about the kingdom. Don't worry about what's coming. Don't worry about the details. That's in the Father's hands. What you need to worry about right now is what I want you to do right now. And right now, I want you to wait. You know, some people are very quick to depart when problems come. They don't, they don't like waiting. Uh, think about the emotional status of this crew as they're, uh, as they are, uh, part of the way now, as part of Christianity. Forever linked to God, to the God man who was crucified, um, who set Judaism on their ear and defied the Roman government by not staying dead. And yet Jesus tells them, listen, though all that may be going through your head, though you may not understand everything that has happened or what's going to happen, here's what I want you to do. Wait. Waiting makes everybody uncomfortable. We think letter A, waiting is a burden, don't we? We think it's a burden. We joke around about being impatient about a lot of things. But it's not easy to wait, especially on God's answer to prayer, huh? You've been praying for something, you just waited and waited and waited and waited, and you think, man. You know, Sandy Williams prayed for 30 years for her husband to be saved. He got saved two Easter's ago. <laughs> That's a long time to wait. We think prayers, we think waiting's a burden. It's not easy to, it's not easy to wait. It's not easy to wait for loved ones to come to Christ. It's not easy to wait for behavior to change in your children or for your marriage to be healed. It's, it's hard to wait for God's promises to be fulfilled. So many times, so many times we see waiting as a burden. That's what we think it is. Secondly, God says it's not a burden. God says waiting brings blessings. That's when I do my best work in you. That's when you actually see what I'm doing. It, the Bible says that waiting brings encouragement. Psalm 27, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Waiting brings protection. Psalm 37 and verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Waiting brings protection. It brings encouragement. It also brings renewed strength. One of the most famous verses of all in the Bible, Isaiah 40, 31, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. But you know what it also brings? It also helps us recognize the goodness of God in all things. Lamentations 3 and verse 21, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Now let's just put it in context. Jeremiah is not living in the most peaceful of times. Jeremiah is not witnessing a coming together. He's not witnessing a revival. He's not witnessing any of that. In fact, he's witnessing the exact opposite. All the book of Jeremiah is spent preaching and praying and 
and, and, and begging people, look, you need to repent. This is what's going to happen. And, and he's prophesying, look, you want to know what's going to happen. I'm telling you, this is what's coming down the road. It's a war machine and nobody wants to hear him. Do you think that would bother you if you were a preacher? If you preached and nobody listened? If you served and nobody got saved, do you think it would bother you to stand before people who God had to warn you, don't worry about their face, I know what's in them. Just preach. Just do what I'm saying. Just do what I'm saying. To do that, don't you think it would be a little discouraging? And yet, in Lamentations, after he says, look, I feel so bad for Israel, and this is burning my heart. The weeping prophet writes this. This I recall to my mind. It's in your notes. Uh, Therefore, I have hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore, will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him to the soul that seeketh him. Jeremiah says, look, I don't know what you guys are doing. I'm just going to wait on the Lord. In the midst of circumstances, you see, the disciples were to wait for God's plan to be made plain. But Lord, we've seen all that you did and, and we're very aware of who you are. In light of that, is now the time? And Jesus says, well, look, first of all, don't worry about what's coming. Don't worry about the details. Don't worry about the time. Here's what time it is for you now. I want you to wait. Oh, how frustrating would that have been? Wait? We were hoping to get rid of these Romans. We were hoping the Sanhedrin would go away. We were just hoping that you would, uh, that you would just set up your kingdom, be king. Oh, and by the way, we would sit on your right hand and your left. We were just kind of hoping that things would be just progress here and their life would get easier, that burdens would go away, that I wouldn't cry anymore, that I wouldn't have this fallen body. We were just kind of hoping, Lord, that, you know, you'd kind of do it this way. He says, just wait. Wait. It's time to wait on the Lord. It's time for us to wait on the Lord. We want whatever it is, a new president, lower gas prices, lower grocery prices. We want all of these things to just happen. And God says, look, it's not for you to know. That's all in my father's hands. Here's what I do want you to do. Wait for me. Wait on me. Let me shower you with goodness. Let me encourage you with the time that it is. Let me just encourage you with me. Let me encourage you with my presence. They asked the Lord what time it is, and he said it's time to wait on the Lord. Secondly, it's time to witness for the Lord, he said. So what I want you to do is witness, verse 8. But... Not until the Holy Ghost makes a move on you. Notice what it says. But you shall receive power. By the way, let me just settle this here. In verse 7, it says, Which the Father hath put in his own power. That word power there in verse 7 is authority. Okay? And then in the next verse, it says, But ye shall receive power. That word is not the same word, authority. That word is dunamis. That word is, is the ability. It is God moving power in you to be able to do his will. That's what that word means. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and in all the most parts of the earth. So now the disciples are like, okay, first you say to wait, and now I'm going to wait, and then an event's going to happen. Right? Now think about that. If it were me or you, we would be like, well, how long are we supposed to wait? I'd kind of like to put that in my schedule, if you don't mind. I mean, is it like Tuesday, Lord? Maybe is it Wednesday night at the service? Is it like... You know, is it like in August? Because I'll just just tell. It's okay. Just tell me. Just tell me. I'm John. I'm the beloved. Just tell me. No, he's like, look, it's going to happen, but you've got to wait until it's made plain. Okay. 
How many believe that the disciples knew that it would have been easier for all of them just to slip into the kingdom immediately? <laughs> it's just going to be so easy. But there was a job to do. There was a whole world to impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice two things about what Jesus says here in Acts chapter 1. First of all, the distinction of God's plan in verse 8. But you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me. God's plan for the kingdom that was to come was to include as many people as possible. And for that to happen, he commissioned 120 souls to take the good news of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for the sins of mankind to the whole world. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16, verse 15, and he said unto them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So he lays out the plan. When the spirit of God comes upon you and you'll know, and he is going, then he's going to move you and then he's going to give you the ability to testify that my life was given for the sins of all people. That you're going to testify and you're going to bear witness that there's no other way that a person must be saved. And you're going to start telling people right where you live in Jerusalem. By the way, the best plans always begin at home. And he says, this is where I want you to start, in Jerusalem. Then you're going to progressively take the connecting cities, the gospel, and then villages until, guess what? You reach the whole world. By the way, they did. These are they that turned the whole world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So before you get on them about who they were, remember who they became by the grace of Almighty God and the power of the Holy Ghost. Now, that's the distinction of their plan. God said, I did this for the sins of the world. You're my only witnesses. I'm going to empower you. And when I do, you're going to start in Jerusalem. Then you're going to go to Judea. Then you're going to go to Samaria. And when it's all said and done, you will have the gospel around the world. That's my plan. By the way, that doesn't sound like a kingdom come to me. That sounds like if I'm Peter, Paul, and John, and Thomas, and all those, especially Thomas, I'm going, mm, yeah, how that's, how's that going to work, God? How exactly do you plan on doing that? Because, you know, there's like governments in all these places. And the one that we're under now is pretty big. And it doesn't really like what's happened. You'd like we're supposed to stay dead and you didn't. And now we're, you're telling us we got to go and tell him, yeah, he's alive. He's alive and I'm forgiven. Heaven gates are open wide. He's alive. I'm supposed to tell that message. Do you know what that's going to do to me? By the way, that's why God used the word witnesses there. It means martyrs. He knew exactly what was going to happen. That's the distinction of their plan. Now, let me, secondly, let's just talk about the difference in our situation. Now, a lot of churches, I don't say a lot. I'll say some churches because I really don't know for sure. Some churches nowadays would say that, well, that was the disciples' commission, not ours. That it was left to them to give the gospel. And it's really, you know, it's up to God who gets saved and who doesn't. He's already predetermined that. Some would say, well, you know, evangelism is a gift. It's a gift. It's a gift. So these people were gifted to go into evangelism. And only people with the gift of evangelism can tell people about Christ. It's a gift. Well, the problem with that is it's not biblical. Evangelism is not a gift. It's a mandate. It's a commission. God's given us the authority and the ability to go and do that in his name. And so when you... When you think about the difference, well, what's the difference then? Well, let's just talk about it. I want you to notice the difference between their situation and ours. In their situation, God's next great event would begin their witnessing. Right? The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. 
And we read it the very next chapter, don't we? Have you ever read that chapter? Acts chapter 2. The Bible says when they were in one accord in prayer, and they were in the upper room, the Holy Spirit came down. The, the, uh, the fire set upon them, and they all spake in languages that they had not ever known before. And 3,000 people got saved. Pretty big event, right? They were going to hear the sound of the rushing wind and all that. And then all of a sudden, okay, God's next great event would begin their witnessing. Listen to me. God's next great event in our life is going to end our witness. 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Listen, heaven doesn't need a witness. Their next great event was going to begin their witness. Ours ends it. That's the Bible truth. It's a big difference. The coming of the Holy Spirit would empower them for witnesses. But ye shall receive power, that, that, that enabling, that, that divine enabling to do what God wants us to do. The coming of the Holy Spirit would empower them. The Holy Spirit's already come. And if you're saved, you have God's power already in you to witness and serve right now. Listen, you don't have to wait for that. If you're saved, you've already got it. Amen. He already lives inside of you. That power, that divine power that enables you to take your testimony of where you were before Christ and talk to somebody of what it was to be lost and then to find Christ and what it's like to be saved belongs to you already. You have that. They were to wait and then witness. That's the order. Wait and then witness. We're supposed to wait and witness. The Bible says in Second Thessalonians 3, and we have this confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. You're going to do it while you wait. Titus 2 and verse 13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. What is that? That is doing while you're waiting. That's the difference. We're not waiting so that we can do. We're waiting and doing at the same time. It's very clear what time it is. It's time to witness for Christ while we wait for his appearing. Because he is absolutely coming again, by the way. And when he comes, he's going to find us absolutely aware of what time it really is. The only time you and I have in this life is now, which means now is the time to serve him faithfully. And we do that by witnessing of what only he can do. And that is to save a soul from hell. What time is it? It's time to wait on the Lord. It's time to wait. It's time to be patient. It's time to seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. It's time to witness for the Lord. Thirdly, it's time to be of one accord about it. The Bible says here, and when he had spoken these things in verse 9, while they beheld, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. While he looked steadfastly toward heaven, verse 10, as he went up, behold, two men stood by him in white apparel, which also said, you men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. Then returned they to Jerusalem over the mount, from the mount of, uh, called Olivet, 
which is from Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. And when they were come in, they went into an upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotus and Judas, the brother of James. Verse 14, these all continued with one accord and prayer and supplication with the women and Mary and the mother of Jesus, the Mary, the mother of Jesus and with his brethren. Look at the beginning of the verse. These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. One of the most amazing and beautiful descriptions given to these people going forward and to those whom they would lead to Christ in the book of Acts is that phrase, one accord. It's, it's absolutely beautiful. The word one accord means to be of one mind. It means to be in unanimous consent and all together. <clears throat> unanimous consent. They were told that the only person in the universe that knows when the end of the world will be is God the Father. Then all these men come under the judgment. Uh, then, as all men come under the judgment of God, believers will be honored in heaven while unbelievers will suffer in a fiery pit for all of eternity. The Bible says in the sea, give up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man according to his works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. All of this they knew. They know. Jesus had said, look, in my kingdom, when it's all done, I'm going to send my, my reapers. They're going to reap. I'm going to put the goats over here. I'm going to put the sheep over here. And the goats are going to go into everlasting condemnation where the worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched. But the sheep are going to come into my pasture. Because they came in by the door. Goats are not allowed in the, in the pastures of heaven. These are only for the sheep. These are my children. They knew that. They knew what was waiting for those that rejected Jesus Christ and said, no, I just don't believe that. Well, unbelievers shall have their place, the Bible says, in the lake of fire. Not knowing when all that was to happen or the details, they decided to unite. They decided to be of one mind. They decided by unanimous consent that they were going to be together for the cause of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just say two things. What does that tell us, not just about that time, but about our time? Letter A, the time is too serious for strife and divisions. The time that they lived in, the time that we live in, is too serious for strife and divisions. Think about how different all of those people were in that room and what they had just witnessed. Think about it. And the possibilities that rested in that room that they waited for and that they were praying in for divisions and strife. Peter had his, in his denials. Look, anybody, <coughs> excuse me, anybody in that group that were witness to what Peter had done, especially John, and as all of that made it circle around, do you, do you think it would be at least plausible that somebody in there was saying, I wonder if Peter's really here. He's already gone fishing once. I wonder where his heart really is. You know, Peter denied Jesus three times. Did you deny? I didn't. I just doubted, but I got that settled. You know what I mean? That's a big possibility. Peter was the most outspoken one. He was the most boisterous one. He was the one that made the most commitment and made the biggest mistake. Then there's Thomas and his doubts. How can you work with someone that doesn't have any faith, not the faith of a child? You're just constantly doubting, constantly critical, constantly wanting to know, how is this going to happen? Well, I don't know if that's possible. That's frustrating. You don't want to be around a person like that. Their individual demoralization at the crucifixion. They had all forsaken Christ. 
They all knew what Roman crucifixion was. They had suffered the emotional strain of Jesus, the Messiah, dying, all of their hopes, dying with Jesus, and then getting, seeing him raised again, and all of the roller coaster, and Peter going fishing, and now he's saying this, and look, we're expecting the kingdom, all of that. Well, that's kind of a, that's kind of a hotbed, a tinderbox. And as they watch Jesus ascend into glory, the angels confirm his return, just as he said. And they have some major decisions to make. And they made the right one. The Bible says in verse 14, these all continued with one accord. What does that mean? That means that to them, nothing mattered in this life except living and talking for Jesus Christ. That's all. That's it. Romans 13, verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is time to wake out of the sleep for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting, not in drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That, that's exactly what they did. I know that's what Peter did, but if Jesus forgave him, I should too. I know that's what Thomas's heart was about. He's always been critical. He's always been waning. He's always been doubt, full of doubt. But if Jesus can forgive him, if Jesus can use Peter, he can use Thomas. He probably could use me too. So I'll just keep my mouth shut. Maybe we should just unite. Why? Because the time is far too serious for strife. It's far too serious for division. So the decision that we're making together is that we're going to unanimously consent. Jesus is right. We can't worry about what's going to happen. We can only do what we can do now. And he said we're supposed to tell everybody about Jesus Christ. What brought them together? Letter B, it was the truth. The angels confirmed it to them. And it was settled. When they went from the Mount of Olivet, which is just across the valley there and going into Jerusalem when they went back to the upper room by the time they got there it was settled this is what we're going to do the truth brought them together it was their individual experience with Jesus that was truly fresh and their task given to them by the master was urgent we're going to wait the gospel truth and the truth of his return brought them together with a greater purpose than any other on earth it was souls the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You see, it wasn't a matter of here's this group of people, the first were 12 and now there's 120, as the Bible will say at the end of Acts chapter 1 in the upper room, and they're supposed to strive together. Oh, no, no. That I just read you was written to the church of Philippi. A great church. The crown of Paul's rejoicing. He said, look, if there's one thing I want you to do beside rejoicing, I want you to strive together. I said to the people in our Sunday school hour, it's much easier for us as Christians to strive against someone than to strive with them. Much easier. But they did it. You suppose if they did it, we could do it? The devil's done his best to divide this world, hasn't he? He's doing a great job. He's done his best to divide this country, this state, and even this church. And his entire goal is to thwart God's plan to see people saved. That's it, period. He hates God. He hates anybody that bears the cross 
wants to be a disciple and tell someone about Christ. He hates the hope and the possibility of somebody being saved because he cannot be saved. He hates the truth because the truth is not in him. He hates life because he's a murderer from the beginning. His entire goal is to thwart God's plan. In the last two years, the one thing that more Christians have focused on more than anything is differences. Society highlights differences with one thing in mind. Remember this. Please remember this. The devil is a divider. God is a uniter. A country being pulled apart, churches being pulled apart, homes being pulled apart. Why? Because Satan's winning. Because of Christians who won't wait, who won't witness, and who don't see the big picture enough to be in one accord about it. I shudder to think how many people have died and gone to hell in the last two and a half years while churches attempt to figure out who they are and while Christians sit back and pick each other off. There are going to be empty seats in heaven because of Christians who, instead of seeing the bigger picture, have decided to major on the divisions. This life is not about my individuality or my needs. It's about the lost dying in their sin and we have the cure. The disciples are awesome in my book. They show us what it's like to put away the differences. Put away what they didn't have. Put away what they what they wanted. I want the kingdom. It's not for you. You're going to get it. Just wait. I want you to wait. Relax. Chill out. We're not there yet. How much longer? Doesn't matter. What matters right now is you're in the back of the car. <laughs> and you need to hold on. It's only one thing that I want you to think about while you're at this time. The disciples were awesome. They show us what it's like to put away their differences and rise to the challenge. Can I ask you, would you, by the grace of God, would you be willing to do the same? Would you be willing to put away what's different and focus on the one thing at hand, the cross at Calvary. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the blood that cleanses us from all sin. Would you be willing to do that? They didn't focus on people in that room. They focused on Christ. They focused on his word. They focused on prayer and supplication, begging God. How many, how many believe that if God gave them that, Jesus gave them that, and they, then you were part of that, and you stood and you watched Jesus go into heaven, and you were like, Whoa. And I don't know if they were gazing there so far, like, do you still see him? You know, somebody probably had better vision. Yeah, I see him. He's right there. What's the reference point? I don't know, but I can see him. See that cloud? It's to the left of the cloud, a little higher than that other one. And they're gazing. These two angels all of a sudden appear and go, what are you doing? Why are you looking? He gave you orders. Look, what you need to know is the same Jesus that you saw, he's coming back. And he's going to come back just like he went. And what you need to do is just go do what he said to do. They, 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 they put all of that aside and they rose to the challenge. General William Booth, they tell me, founder of the Salvation Army, could never be accused of mincing words or doing things half-heartedly. He believed if he could hold each of his young Salvation Army officers over hell for a few minutes, he would never have any trouble keeping them motivated about being a witness for Christ. Now, that's never going to happen. We're never going to be able to be held over the sulfur pit of condemnation and go, woof, man, I don't want that. 
We have the word of God that tells us the end, that tells us what's going to happen. But more importantly, it tells us what time it is right now. And the time is to wait and seek the Lord. The time is for witnessing and the time is to do it all together. We need to bind together in that spirit and say, God helping me, I will do that because that's the time that I'm living in. Father, we love you and we thank you so much for being so gracious and merciful. We thank you, God, for your word and for your precious spirit. Lord, 2,000 years ago, your disciples decided to take you seriously enough, put away their fears, put away their differences, put away their doubts, put away their questions. And by faith, in prayer and supplication, they prayed and they waited. Lord, 10 days after this, you settled on them with your Holy Spirit and you imbued, endued them with power from on high. And God, that great event launched the empowerment of your body and Lord, 3,000 people got saved. Those people took the gospel to more people and more people got saved and more people got saved. And God, your word tells us that the known world was turned upside down with the gospel. Lord, would you do that with us? Would you take this band of people here at Shadow Mountain and would you make us witnesses? Would you empower us? We know we already have the Holy Spirit. Lord, what we need to do is yield to him, listen to him. We need to focus our attention on waiting with you and for you so that our hearts would be aligned. Would you get our eyes off of each other and off of this world? Would you just help us, God, to have very, very good clarity after a message like this about our life and our life's purpose. We get so bogged down in the nasty now and now. Lord, we forget the sweet by and by. We forget all that you've given to us, all that you've done for us, and the amazing ability we have to change a life through the power of the gospel. Lord, please help us open our eyes, tenderize our hearts, mobilize our feet. With heads bowed and eyes closed as the piano plays, I wonder this morning if God spoke into your heart. Maybe there's someone specifically that he's spoken to you about witnessing to. You know someone's lost. They're on their way to hell. You're not because you're saved. I wonder today if God's spoken to you about and urging you to speak more indefinitely with that person. Look, I'm for establishing a relationship. I'm for making sure those people know that you love them. I'm for all of that. But if I'm not actively pursuing somebody for the cause of Christ, I'm actively disobeying what God's put me on this earth for. I don't know if every day I need to go out and do something like that, and I'm not opposed to it, but I do believe I need to yield to the Holy Spirit of God. I need to be sensitive to people around me especially if I know specifically someone within my grasp and my reach that needs the gospel. I wonder today if you say, Pastor, God's spoken to my heart specifically about being a witness. And I want to be that witness. Maybe he's spoken to you about just learning to wait, learning to spend time with him, learning, being willing in prayer and supplication to wait. Let him encourage you. Maybe you need encouragement. Man, I'm so glad that God is that God of encouragement. If you're here and you say, Pastor, God spoke to my heart specifically from this message. Would you pray for me? 
is I make a decision for him today. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand real quick? Anybody like that? Several over the building. Anybody else? God's spoken to me about my need, about the time of life that I'm living in. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I've I've been more focused on what other people are doing or not doing and our differences. And maybe right now you need to pray and ask God to forgive you for having the wrong focus. Letting other people be the reasons that you're not engaged in the battle for souls. Don't let the devil deceive you. Don't let him deceive you. You have the truth. You have the gospel of Christ. You have, you have Christ in you, the hope of glory. Don't let the devil discourage you, defeat you, get you out of the way. How many would say, Pastor, the devil's been on my back the last several days, the last week, the last month. And it's been very discouraging. I realized today I need, I need to build back my relationship with Christ and spend time with him and wait with him and for him. And I need to get back in the Bible and I, I need to strengthen my faith by the word of God so that I can resist the devil steadfastly. How many would say, that's my prayer today. How many would say that? Anybody? He's been on my back. Amen. Anybody else? He's been on my back and I've just let him win. Anybody else? Would you stand together with me for a time of prayer? Heavenly Father, I do now just lift up your name, Jesus. And I want to thank you again for your sacrifice. For the great example, the great example of putting the will of God ahead of all else. I thank you for the disciples, Lord. They're a motley crew at best going at the end of the Gospels. But Lord, going into the book of Acts, they were a mighty force to be reckoned with. And God, as they stepped out by faith, you moved and you had already been working on humanity. And Lord, what a, what a tremendous reception of grace, the intersection of divinity and humanity. And now, Lord, we pray for that in our lives. God, lead us to those that are lost and help us to sense in that moment, this person needs a track, this person needs a friend, this person needs prayer, this person needs Jesus. I pray for those, Lord, who said that the devil's been on their back. I just pray that you'd encourage them today. Help them to remember your love never goes away. You still love them. They're still your child. Help them to remember that you're always with them, that you never forsake them. God, for those that have been touched by the Holy Spirit of God about people who are lost in their life, would you please come alongside of them? And Lord, would you empower them and help them to remember the beauty of of their own salvation and translate that into a testimony that would see somebody saved. Give them the words to say, give them the grace to say it by. And I pray that souls would be saved. I ask that you'd minister now in the name of Christ through us. We pray that you'd bless our dismissal. Pray that you would encourage the word of God in us. We ask that you'd be glorified always. Bring us back at the appointed hour. We ask all this in Jesus' precious name and for his sake. Amen.